Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? Uh, another week where we're sitting here wondering when baseball is going to start. And by tweets that we have seen come across the interwebs uh, from many of the talking heads that covering the CBA, uh, Evan Drellich, uh, Bob Nightingale to a lesser extent, um, have suggested that there is a deadline for tomorrow, and apparently the owners have made some concessions. I don't know exactly what that uh, what that entails, but uh, we are going to talk about that tonight. Welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I'm joined by my co-host, Danny Miller. How are you doing, Danny? Uh, well, you know, pretty much the same as usual. Uh, ready to talk about some baseball, specifically some White Sox baseball, and uh, hopefully not a whole lot about this ongoing lockout because I really uh, don't have much good to say. So let's just go ahead and get into it, and uh, you know we'll work our way through it, huh? Yeah. Well, um, we have a guest this evening, and uh, he is a White Sox daily guy. Uh, his name is Mark Orr. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go figure. <laughs> I hear we talk baseball here, I guess, huh? Yeah, you know, that's debatable. Um, I mean, at well, least it's a good-looking White Sox logo up there. You know, it could have been much worse. That is true. So, Mark. Yes. Thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, Long time coming. Yeah, it's been a while. We've been trying to get this happening, and here we are, and it's working. And uh, let's roll. Collective bargaining agreement, supposedly, according to these guys, there is a a deal in place offered. Now we see whether the players are going to take it. Um, I don't know, man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, uh, from what we've heard from the players on basically every deal that's come back. Uh, has been a, a negative. Um, what do you think is happening tomorrow? Uh, I don't see it. <laughs> well, I don't uh, see I don't see baseball till May first. That's me. <laughs> well, what, what are your thoughts? Let's 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 hear a little bit from Mark since it's his first time here. I, I'd love to hear. I think that the. Uh, I think the uh, the power shift is starting to happen, where the players are starting to get more power here, because as the games you know get eliminated, the owners are starting you know there's a number, they've got a number in their head of how many how many games they need to play to, to make money, and as those those games drop off, they they're starting to look at that bottom line, so they're pretty far apart though. I mean you know for what they're asking and what they're you know what they're what they're willing to take. Yeah. So, I mean, the deal that's, that's supposedly in play right now is that they would play 162 and they would actually get full pay for the season. Um, mm. Now they say, you know, Evan Drellich says that pay service and uh, I don't even know what sked is. Um, I was schedule. assume full that schedule. would mean schedule uh, mm -hmm. can't be unilaterally chosen needs to be negotiated. So uh, MOB offered to start CBT at 228, going to 238 by end of the deal. 
but the rest of the proposal is not known. Um, now, it's actually quite the jump. I got. I'm say actually. It, but, uh, well, I mean, it's yeah, it's five. It's like what? It's like uh, two million dollars every year for five years. So it's not really a you know huge thing. But I'm actually kind of surprised, um, knowing that they. The, the other owners, which we'll get into this in a second, but some of the owners have said that they wouldn't go over 210 for which was basically uh, where they, right. where we ended at the uh, this last CVA exactly. And they, so, and they want I mean, what who, like 238 or something like that, or what is I it? I think uh, I think the original uh, I think the original number MLBPA threw out there was 240, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. I that think that's uh, right. And they have kind of gone back and forth on that. That number has changed multiple times, you know, and it's it's all part of the negotiating process when they say, okay, we won't, we'll, we'll go down to this, but then we want you to expand on this. So, you know, they'll find a different part of the argument to, uh, you know, we'll take something away from this, but we want you to add somewhere here. You know, we, we're not going to give without a little bit of take. So uh, that number has kind of gone back and forth a little bit. But uh, to see that it's an $18 million jump to start uh, is quite the jump for me. Uh, I could, I honestly could see uh, MLBPA jumping at that, even though there's only a $2 million increase year over year after that. But it just depends on uh, where they're at on the other issues. Uh, getting... The uh, the younger players uh, more pay, which you know it seems that uh, MLB has been willing to go as far as seven hundred million as a starting point yeah, for a minimum salary, but then they came back to six seventy five, and that's right. been a real big point of contention. So without knowing what the rest of the deal looks like, it's hard to say one way or the other whether or not that you know that uh, that threshold is uh, going to. Uh, be the thing that, that turns this thing around but you know i just want to talk about the fact that uh don't, don't you think it's funny that just a week ago was supposedly the first deadline for uh games being canceled and now here we are seven days later and all of a sudden 160 till 162 is still on the table uh you know we can talk about good faith negotiating and we've been talking about good faith negotiating or the lag thereof for, you know, over three months now. And, uh, you know, it, it, every time the, 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 the owners and Rob Manfred open their mouth, they kind of, they kind of really, uh, eat the entire foot, leg, thigh, all the way up to the hip. So, uh, you know, it's hard to believe anything they say right now, to be honest with you. But uh, if tomorrow is the deadline to get 162 in and to get players, you know, a full schedule and full salary and uh, a full year of service time, uh, I would think that uh, there are some of those concessions aside from that had to be what they felt was pretty good. You mentioned it last week, though, Danny, uh, about... Um about them not, you know, it's not like they can't have a couple of double headers or, or drop a game here and there in for on on days off and so on. It's a very easy sport to fill in extra games. It's not like double headers are news, you know. Yeah, and they like know this, and they know this. So so every time they say this and they put their foot down and they they draw that line, like we talked about before, 
that line just seems to be able to move back just a little bit every time because they know they can still get them in. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you've you've heard uh, in from multiple places in the last week since they decided to cancel the first two series, which puts them at, like, roughly, depending on the team, it's six or seven games, depending on which mm-hmm. team it is. And so we've heard around that it's basically 25 games from these RSNs, the regional sports networks. It's about 25 games until these teams have to start paying the sports networks back. So with And there's the number. Yeah. That the, so these, the owners were that I was talking about. Yeah. So the self imposed <laughs> uh deadline that they put and already you're already looking at seven games for some of these teams. They're already a third of the way to having to hand money back. So right. you know if if you <clears throat> put off you know, another, you know, say for another couple of days and then they say, okay, you know, tomorrow, if they don't accept by tomorrow and then Rob Manfred comes out again and says, uh, oh, well, we're canceling the next two series because there's right. no way that spring training is going to be okay. And, you know, they're not going to be able to get ready in time. We need to have that month in spring training to, uh, to make sure that these guys are ready. Cause we don't want to risk injury. Um, you know, by the time spring training's over, if they don't do at least a, a one, you know, like around a one forty game season, they're going to have to start handing money back, and you know that the owners certainly aren't wanting to do that. So now, uh, we all know, you know, it's it's been pretty much broke down by just about any of the uh, the bigger uh, sports journalism. Uh, outlets that, uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, ticket revenue, uh, gate revenue and vendor sales and merchandise sales at the stadium. Uh, I, I want to say the number is roughly 40% of the income for these teams. And, you know, TV revenue is actually huge. It's, it, I mean, the numbers are uh, monstrous. And for them that you know, start losing that kind of money, I think that puts them in a real bind. But my question to you is we say that that okay so that 25 game or so uh point at which they got to start sending this money back uh how is that affected by adding a 12 or 14 team playoffs you know uh the money that's going to come from those TV contracts i feel like might be able to buy the owners more time if the set of you know either 12 or 14 is agreed upon and i know that it's been talked about that MLBPA is willing to do 12, but not 14, but only if the format is done correctly. So, uh, you know, there, I agree with you, Mark. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just not sure if it's that 25 game number or not, because I do feel like expanded playoffs is going to bring in a ton of money for these, uh, for these owners. It will. Who knows like what they, what they end up having to give back uh, because they haven't had to deal with that before during the 60 game season. It was a completely different animal. Obviously it was 60 games only. Right. You know, it, That's it's going to be right there. Yeah. It's going to be prorated, you know, for, for, for money wise, you know, from the, you know, the ownership to the RSNs, who knows as far as that goes, that was like a, probably a completely separately negotiated deal. Now, you know, what their contract states that they, you know, as far as like a percentage wise goes 
with the 25 games, what they'd have to give back, I don't know. So my question is this. Um, I, I know that the playoff series, I, I think it was like $100 million or something like that for the extra round that they sold to ESPN, if I remember correctly. It's either 100 or $125 million for this extra round that they've already sold to ESPN, apparently. That sounds so, right. Yeah, that's the number I So saw. if they don't do that, then... MLB has to give that money back. So that's not happening. So, but my, my other question is for these regional sport networks, mm. if I was a regional sports network and I saw the owners leveraging to give me the least amount of content slash product as they possibly could and using it as leverage in their contract talks. How do you think I would feel when I'm going to negotiate my next contract with said owner of this team? Knowing that next collective bargaining agreement, you know, say my, say my contract with them is up in three years. Well, next time, you know, assuming that we do do business with them the next time, it's only two years until the next CBA is coming up. Sure. What assurances are they going to get? Right. Yeah, that, that makes that, perfect sense. Yeah, I just I don't I don't see how. And this is just another instance of showing that the owners are just doing whatever they can to try and gain as much money as they possibly can without having to do anything other than not pay players. You know. Well, I mean, owners have always been that way. Their their whole the whole objective to the is is to if you're going to spend the money, you you spend it on the players that are going to get you you're going to get you further. They're not they don't want to spend money on lower players. They don't want to spend money on anything else. Then it's not even about the wins. It's 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 not. It's it's about you know the revenue, the putting the people in the seats. It's I don't really believe. Half of these teams really think about the World Series. I think they just they look the owners look for you know they look for money. It's 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 simple. Yeah, yeah. Where can I where can I find the most value? Right for my dollar. Exactly. And I don't necessarily have to push for the World Series. I don't need that. I don't need the uh, the the flag trophy, the commissioner's trophy. I'm not saying that they don't care about it to a degree. Right. Of course they do. Metal. No, yeah, I mean, and of course, more money comes with it as well, you know, but, but, across but, the board, but, but, whether yeah. it's ticket sales or merchandise or all of those kinds of things. The money that comes from winning the series mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and more po- more postseason more. games, sure, more publicity, correct, all of that it plays into it. But you know, they say it's also the most difficult of the uh, four sports to win the uh, the ultimate prize and. Uh, you know, I gotta think they take that into their risk assessment when they're building these teams and doing the things that they do. So I I can't disagree with any of that. Mm. But uh, I do have another question for you since uh, Ian brought it up. Sure. You know, and you're talking about this thing, you know, being about not paying players. You know, with uh, in that tweet from Evan Jarlick, uh he said he speaks about. Be getting make not only a uh, 162 game season, but a, a season without a loss of service time. And, uh, you know, I know it's been talked about a lot on the socials and how this affects service time, but 
is this a ploy again to get fans on the side of the owners? If there's not an agreement tomorrow, come this new deadline, or as Mark liked to point out, the uh, a line in the sand that's been drawn mm-hmm. and moved. Is this just another ploy to get the the fans on the side of the owners? Because hey, we're giving them the opportunity to to not lose service time. It's on them if they do. Well, the PR department are working people, very hard on each side. Right. I, I feel like a lot of people have felt like since this thing has started and gone so long that you know a lot of this is a ploy on service time manipulation without actually manipulating service time in the way that has been traditionally done over the last few years. And I kind of want to think what you guys. I want to hear what you guys think about maybe that kind of All thing. Right. Well, ideally, you know, you have to take in consideration that we're talking about what maybe eight to ten bullet points that the average baseball pl- uh, fan knows about. But there's there's realistically a hundred different things going on in that inch of you know that that proposal that goes back and forth, and we're only seeing you know we're only really being you know really concerned with certain ones because those are the ones that affect the the fans the pr knows what they you know on each side know what they're doing you know they're fighting on both sides i mean let's be realistic attendance ratings even interest you know it's all down you know and it's going to be tough to bounce back from that and this is not helping so each side each side has to come up with a way to say hey we care about the fans we this is important to us but I don't think the owners, you know, they're they're it's kind of veiled. It's 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 really thin, you know. Their their arguments don't hold much water when they say we care about the fans. Mm. How yeah. much do you care about the fans? How about yeah. that twenty? You know, hey, here's a hot dog that's you know twenty times what it's what it's worth. But we care about you guys, you know. Yeah the uh, the the Rob Manfred Q and A. Afterwards, oh, he looks like such an asshole. Oh, the, <laughs> these I mean, just laughing just it off, him. joking. The questions killed him. You know, it, he, the, yeah. the the first the first uh, the first lady that asked the question, and I can't remember can't remember who it is. I, I trying to remember. Maybe she's with Forbes, or she's well, maybe with the Wall Street Journal. It might have been the Wall Street Journal, but uh, she asked him. You know. Something about was it you know your your best and final offer, and he says, well, I don't like to say anything is you know in negotiations. It's not a good idea to say anything's a final offer. And she's like, well, if it's not your best offer, why would the players take it? And he's just like, der. Yeah, <laughs> turn the mic off. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no more questions. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Uh, I'm. I, I'm overseeing him. Uh, I've I've seen a few, uh, a few of the people on Twitter uh, talking about the fact that essentially it is Rob Manfred's job to not you know obviously he has to as a commissioner police the players and whatever you know despite the fact that I think he's done a terrible job with that but it's his job to make sure when these votes come up. And this is one of the things that Bud Selig was really good at was getting the owners into a spot where they could pass their votes quickly. Mm. And it was a game of, you know, give and get. I'll do this for you. 
you do this for me, we'll get through this vote, and we'll keep on rolling. And because he was a small market owner, you know, it, I, I think that it probably ended up working up a little, you know, working out a little bit better because he knows and understands what's going on here. He's not just some, you know, stuffed suit, you know, talking about things that he, for the most part, he cannot relate to because he's never owned a franchise. He's never worked in baseball. He's a lawyer. So Bud Selig's working this stuff out, and then they replace him with Manfred, who uh, I don't know if you saw the the tweet that was circulating around from, I think it was like 2016 or whatever, from when Manfred got the job, and it said he was a master negotiator. And just how ins- how insanely stupid that looks at this point, seeing his tenure and just how much of a colossal cluster his tenure's been so far. Um yeah, I'm just I'm over the guy. I I would not be surprised that if as soon as this CBA thing is done, that he's he's out of well, here. You're not the only one. I mean, yeah. not just not just the layman, but I mean, Twitter after yeah, tweet after tweet from from players just asking for him to just time to time to go, time to go. Was it Strowman said it? Uh, he said uh, this guy's a joke. He's he's. He's a, he's garbage. He's got to go. I mean, that's just one, but there's there's hundreds of them already. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of them are the you know. There's been a few of them that are the guys that are in the room right now too. Your uh, your player reps. Yeah, that are that are in the room. That I mean, you know, this isn't just players that are coming out of the woodworks that are you know getting their information secondhand from. No, these, these are these are people else. who are in the, are the know. Guys, yeah. These are the guys that are in the room. That see Scherzer, the guys like that who are like, no, this is a joke. Yeah, I mean, when Scherzer called them out and they said, you know, uh, we're getting close and, uh, you know, this, this thing should be settled soon. And Scherzer was like, yeah, no, that is completely false. We are nowhere closer than the day we started. That ought to tell you something. Because, yeah, uh, and when know, this all wraps up, like you said, Ian, when it wraps up and – uh and everything does go back to normal. He's he lost complete, you know, trust in the players. Yeah, there's absolutely. there's no coming back from that. So, like you said, he's gone unless unless he's got some sort of a clause that we don't know about <laughs> in his contract. He's going to be gone because if he can't if he can't do this and that master negotiation ability is is not proving to be a very strong suit of his. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, you who know, was it? Someone joked about it. it. Said he's like the Donald Trump of of like baseball. You know, he'll t- he's he has no idea. You know, when he's in front of the cameras, he looks like a complete ass. You know, yeah. I mean, you're po- no, no politics involved there, done. obviously, but yeah. You know, Donald Trump may have taken it upon himself to get some things done, and whether you agreed with him or not. And I don't want to turn this into a political. Oh, and thing. I'm not, and I'm not by he, no means. He got he, uh, you know, he did some things, even if he took it upon himself to do it. Mister Manfred, no, is not doing anything other than oh, making and you a know, he's he's arguing that uh, we're backsliding, we're backsliding. You know, like mm. I don't know. The players are 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 actually making some offers, and they're they're adjusting their numbers. So I don't know if that's a backslide. On it's it's more of you're not giving in. Yeah, yeah, it's a hundred percent just a, a thing for optics. And if you actually, you know, when when you see these numbers, uh, 
get put out after the offers are made, it's fairly obvious that, you know, not, not much. Usually what it is, is there's one thing that changes for the owners every time. And it's, it's generally, it's a pretty big chunk of money that they're mm-hmm. willing to give up. The thing that really gets me is that with the very first offer, the owners, I, I think it was like the, the salaries could come up, you know, like $100,000 a year, the, the minimum salary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, the, but the collective, you know, the luxury tax was only going to go up like a million dollars every year. And so when you add up over five years, that obviously it's $1 million a year, it's $5 million. So $5 million, and I'd say probably over the amount of uh, minimum league salary guys, you're probably looking at about like $10 million uh, of revenue over the entire league. Yeah, league-wide. So realistically, the owners are giving up between you know 15 and 25 million dollars total you League know wide. every every year yeah. and the players are trying to they're offering for another playoff series which <clears throat> is going to make the owners 100 plus million dollars for mm-hmm. the extra round and then they're also conceding the uh the the uh, patches on the uniform which you got to figure every team's going to get like yeah. $2 million from like, uh, you know, Zenny or whoever the heck is going to put a patch yeah. on, on whoever's. Chico's bail bonds. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> each, each team is going to get, you know, like a couple million dollars for that over an entire season for every player coming up to, up to bat with a Zenny, you know, patch like the eyeglasses that the Bulls have. You know, the, the, the White Sox stand to make a couple million dollars, and you project that over 30 teams, and that's $60 million. So that's literally like $160 million that the players will be making for the owners. Yet yeah. in the first the first uh, you know, volley from the, from the owners, they're essentially going to give up $20 million, which you know, is like a, a 20% – you know, are actually like more like a what, like a fifteen, twelve percent, you know, of the money that they're getting in return from the players. It's just it's stuff like that that gets on my nerves. You know, it's just it's so one sided, and for them to say anything negative about the players, I feel that uh, especially with the whole uh, you know with the whole pandemic thing, the way that uh, baseball and the way baseball went, but the whole the way the whole world went, uh, people not working at their jobs but working from home a lot, and uh, a lot of people kind of just dipped out on their jobs, and things seem to have swung a lot more in favor of workers' rights, and people expecting more from their companies that they're working for. That I think that any not not any but. I'd say that the amount of sympathy that these uh, poor destitute owners were getting uh, with other CBAs and the players, oh, those players, they're just greedy sacks of crap. You know, I, I think that that whole thing has kind of like swung heavily towards the players and people don't want to hear all this crap from the owners anymore. They're, they're sick and tired of hearing how these guys say that they don't make any money. 
Yeah, which is probably another reason why that line in the sand has been drawn and moved again. You know, where we were, we had the first two series canceled last week, and all of a sudden this week, 162 is back on the table. I think uh, somebody's probably paying attention to all the socials out there and all the backlash that you're getting. Because if you lose the fans, you know, if we, we let's just look at 94 and 95 where, you know, we had the same problem. There was a work stoppage, uh, you know, in the latter third of the season. And it rolled all the way into spring training the next year when we got the scabs playing uh, in spring. And, uh, you know, they're, like I said, we've said it before, there, there are a lot of people that seem to think that uh, the, the game has not recovered from that fully yet. You know, here we are 28 years later. It has uh, not. You know, and now we're in the midst of the longest work stoppage. We're coming up to 100 days here. I think we're day 95 or 96 now, somewhere in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's maybe some signs that things are getting better, uh, but I don't believe it until I see it. And I think you're going to lose a lot of fans. I got to be honest with you. I, I, if it wasn't for this stream, I might have been completely disinterested at this point. You know, uh, I, I'm not afraid to say that I am salty at the entire situation, but I understand why it has to happen this way on the side of the players. Um, yes, I am. I am going to say that I'm taking the player side. I have no problem admitting that. With some folks, you know, want to say you can't, you can't choose the players or the owners because the fans are the ones that are going to pay for it in the end. Uh, there are some pretty good articles out there that prove that that theory is absolutely wrong. Uh, because you know, when uh, when the Yankees come to town, mm-hmm. we can see the uh, we can see the ticket prices triple. True. And when the Pirates come to town. Do they go below standard prices because we're playing a substandard? Absolutely not. All of this stuff is factored in long before the CBA and long before player salaries are. Uh, so, you know, we can throw these things out of the window. And there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, I would suggest that uh, anybody who has any questions about how this does not affect, you know, uh, player salaries do not affect your what, what comes out of your wallet as far as tickets go. Uh, it's, it's not a fact. You can Google it. Yeah, that uh, BP out there. Yeah, there was a baseball perspective. Baseball perspective is the one that breaks it down the best. Yeah, uh, and I think you guys should go check that out. But uh, I posted it on a couple of the groups on social media. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go take a look at uh, Premium White Sox Premium on Facebook and uh, do a quick search. You'll find it. It's out there. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good read. It's very informative. It, it, yeah, I, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't understand a lot of what was in there before I read that. I kind of well, thought well. that, yeah, you know what, maybe we as fans probably will be uh, past the uh, the new uh, toll on the pocketbook of the owners, if you will, mm-hmm. or at least what they're trying to have us believe. But uh, after reading that, I kind of see, and this is not just something that was written during this CBA. This same writer wrote something very similar at the beginning of the last CBA after it had already been agreed upon. So uh, give it a good read. But, you know, I got to think, you know, just getting back to my point here was uh, I got to think that these owners are seeing all these uh, all the opinions of the fans out there and how people are becoming less and less interested. And like, you know what? Go ahead. Take the, the season down to 140 games, 120 games. There are a lot of people out there that think the season's too long already, and now we're adding, you know, another round of the playoffs and, you know, all these extra teams to the playoffs. And, oh, we're going to be playing into late November and early December and, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, 
when they see these things. You got to think that the networks that are paying them all this money are seeing these things as well. And maybe those next negotiations for the owners don't go as well because now you're talking about losing so much revenue and so much viewership that uh, it could put a hurting on them. So I got to think that, you know, just going back to what you were saying, Mark, and the power kind of swinging back to the players. I mean, uh, the, the that players. That number has got to be coming up here shortly. The players, you know. <clears throat> Honestly, they're they're in the driver's seat. They've actually won these negotiations at this point, in my opinion. And <clears throat> now they're trying to make up for their past negotiations. Yeah, nearly. That's, 30 they're they're years trying. They're, you know, the last you know several negotiation you know didn't go their way, and this time, like you said, it's a blue collar world right now, and we're looking at the workers, not the owners. And the workers have a little more, you know. A little more pull, a little more sway, and I think that, I think that uh, you know they're trying to make up for past, you know, discrepancies, if you will. Yeah. I don't know if it'll work. Maybe it will, but you know, getting to what you said, this is a select group here of fans who really know what's going on. The average fan is becoming more educated day by day. By all the with Twitter, all the social medias out there now, and this is something you wouldn't have gotten in '95. We would have been, yeah, oh, this sucks. Where's my baseball? Now we're like, ah, oh, we're on the inside. We're getting all this inside information that we didn't get before. And the players, the players are. I'm on the side of the players as well, and I'm not ashamed to admit it either. And they, um. The fans are becoming more educated, and that's hurting the owners big time because really the more is. we learn, the more their their argument doesn't hold water. Yeah, and let's see. You know, it, it could even get worse for them. And we it will we get touched, worse. We touched on this a little bit uh, last show, but uh, you know, when antitrust laws seem to, they're seemingly going to fall sometime here in the future. When that happens, I don't know. But uh, being that uh, MLB is the last uh, antitrust exempt mm-hmm. uh, sport in the U.S., uh, you would you would kind of think that somebody's going to revisit that exemption, and it's probably going to happen sooner rather than later. And I think the owners kind of see that running on the wall. What if they well, just too. hit the hundred year mark on that? Uh, I think the the actual last time it was voted on, I want to say, was the mid to late sixties. So, uh, don't quote me on that, but okay. Uh, I thought there was like, uh, there was a number there. I thought I saw 99 or a hundred years where, uh, you know, this sort of thing has been in place. Yeah. Well, they might've voted, but I don't think anything changed. Obviously there was lobbying, uh, uh, what, two years ago. I think it was lobby. The lobbying Mm -hmm. was two years ago and it, it did, uh, get, MLB to finally <laughs> at least sort of uh you know extended the the olive branch a little bit to the minor leaguers and upped everybody's salaries but the problem is is that they were offering them like what like an extra 200 bucks a week for yeah. you know for the 4 months that they're technically uh playing baseball, which is complete and total garbage. They don't get paid for spring training, don't get paid for their training, you know, 
Uh, yeah. Anyway. Right. And we talked about it. we hinted on that. It's, it's it is not just a it's just not a five month job. Right. Or if six you want to be competitive in this game and you're gonna make your way up through the system, you've got to work on that twelve months out of the year, whether or not you're actually you know in schedule. So. Agreed. You know, in that forty-five to fifty thousand dollar minor league contract, you know, it, people will say, "Oh, they're they're playing a game and they're make you're getting paid to play a game." No, no, this is a life choice. This is their job. This is no longer just playing a game. This is their job. But we talked about this just a little bit ago. You know, how many how many guys do you hear about that are bagging groceries and just get called up to? To you know, to get you know, to to be quarterback to the Super Bowl, right? One. There's not that many Kurt Warner. For, yeah, for every there, cherry you know picking I mean? argument you have, there's hundreds of thousands of people of that that go the other way. So you can't play that argument. Uh, just to lighten the mood a little bit, uh, since I brought up uh, minor leaguers, uh, we got a trade possibility here in chat, and uh, I wanted I to bring, I wanted to bring it up. Uh, Brian Ramos, Jake Berger, Andrew Dalquist, Mike Rodolfo, Yolbert Sanchez for Pablo Lopez and Jazz Chisholm. So, uh, as we talked about last week, uh, Fangraphs put Brian Ramos in the Zips projections for minor league seasons as the number 20 uh, prospect in baseball for this upcoming year. Uh, Berger spent time with the White Sox last year and had some pretty decent numbers. Also, uh, mashed in Charlotte in AAA. Uh, Dalquist did not have a great year last year, admittedly. Um, I do like his pitch mix a lot, and uh, he's he's got some talent. I think that uh, he's going to have a good year this year. Uh, Mike Rodolfo, if he doesn't make the 40-man roster, uh, he's gone. He's so Absolutely. Yeah, and Yolbert Sanchez is knocking on the doors of the big leagues as a second baseman, and last year he showed that he could hit for power, uh, at least to some extent, and uh, definitely has very good bat-to-ball skill set and also a pretty stinking good glove. Uh, So you are going to trade those five guys for Pablo Lopez and Jazz Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm... Uh 18 home runs and 500 and something at bats last year and had like a 728 OPS. Now, I like Jazz Chisholm. He's slick. Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. I don't know about Pablo Lopez though. Yeah, I don't uh I mean I don't see he's maybe 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 what is he maybe 20 and 22 with a, you know, four ERA for four and a half. I mean, he hasn't really showed that much to me. I know he's playing. I know, I know the Marlins. It's, you know, it's a tough win out there, but you're still, I, I didn't, I didn't see a whole lot of special out of him. No, I, you know what I would, I would love to see his peripherals because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, playing with the Marlins, it's, you know they're grinding out wins when they get them over. Yeah, there. don't get me wrong. You can put a, a an ace pitcher out there who's going to lose games just because they can't hold. You know because because they can't get any scoring. They can't they give them any runs. I mean, we've right. seen that for years. Through some of the best pitchers in baseball, will lose. You know, 
eight to ten games because they lost one or two to nothing. Yeah. And, so. and I don't think he's that guy. No, I don't think so either. I, he is, you know, he's got a decent fastball. He's, you know, he's he's got all the pitches. I mean, I've seen him enough. You know, he's got a couple of years under his belt, so it's not like, you know, we don't have any uh, sample size. Right? Sample size, yeah. Other than watching a few, uh, watching a few of his starts, um, just looking at his baseball savant page, um, mm-hmm. his fastball spin in the 20, 22nd percentile. Uh, spin rate on his curveball is in the like middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, his hard hit percentage, on the other hand, is almost ninety percent. Um, yeah, so so he's got he's got he's got a bunch of pitches, but they're all you know they're all middle of the road. Great Bar- barrel percentage <laughs> in the fifty fourth percentile, right in the middle of the road. Uh, yeah, I mean it just it's it's one of those things. I'm not throwing Dalquist mm-hmm. and Ramos out on a deal like that. No, we need to see more from them. There's a, there's some, there's a, there's a lot of upside to the, to those guys. And we haven't, they haven't cracked anything from them yet. Of course, how can we, when every season shortened, I'm just saying. (laughs) Finally getting a, finally getting a full minor league season. Um, So that'll be, that'll be nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be watching you know, a lot of minor league baseball if I can. <laughs> I'm not one of those Sox fans that has watched, you know, Jake Berger make his climb. Uh, and, you know, I would almost call it meteoric after everything he's been through. But, uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys that's also afraid to uh, dangle him either. Because, you know, when you got Yo-Yo locked up for the next few seasons and, uh, you know, there are those people out there that say he doesn't hustle and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. You know, uh, he's been banged up a little bit. He's played through some injuries. You know, he had the uh, the old, dare I say, Covis uh, situation a couple years ago. Uh, you know, maybe I would be more willing to uh, give him the the benefit of the doubt after a tough couple of seasons here. And I would, you know, I'm I like the the tool set that he has. You're and talking about honest, you're you're talking about Mankata. Yeah, Johan. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and the thing is, is people people see him kick a ball once, and he's like, "Oh, he's terribly defensively. He's just he's absolutely horrible defensively." And I'm going, "Wait a minute! This guy was all over the field last year, and he had a couple of games where he had to struggle. Probably, I want to say, what was that? August or so? Yeah, August, late mid to late August. I think it was, and like the whole world was ready to dump on him. This guy sucks. Get rid of him. He can't drive the ball. He anymore. can't drive. He doesn't. He can't drive the ball. He doesn't play good defense. Yada yada yada. And then you, you know you go back and you can spit the numbers at him all day long, but all they remember is, well, I watched the games and I saw what I saw, and this guy stinks. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to disagree with you. And uh, you know, if you want to dangle. If you want to dangle Jake out there, go ahead and do it. But, you know, the thing is, is after all his injuries and, you know, whether or not his rise is is uh, big to you as it was to me, the fact of the matter is, is it is only a small sample size at the MLB level for him. Uh, and it's a small exactly. sample size even at the minor league level due to some of the, the injuries that he had. And I really don't think there's a ton of value there yet. So, and I've I've you know. also heard uh, quite a few better, uh, you know, uh, burger, uh, you know, dangling uh, possibilities, you know, than that one right there. Right. There's, you know, he's he's been involved in in other projected, you know, 
trades that I've liked a whole lot more. Not off the top of my head, but there's been a few. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I have, I, I don't, I don't have any issue with dangling him because, like you said, you got Moncada locked up. Um, you know, besides the fact that you know he's been working on the uh, second base stuff through the off season, to me, yeah. it would make more sense to get a top flight defensive second baseman and eat a little bit of that uh, power than it would yeah. be to and try and let's be Berger honest there. that that little what 15 second video or so of Jake Berger making yeah. throws uh, yeah. didn't really show much of anything, if anything at all. So, you know, he doesn't have the build for, for a second baseman to cover that ground. And now, you know, we'll get into the rule changes here a little bit that it seemed to be, uh, uh, being floated out there as as being you know agreed upon, but uh, I'm just going to hint at the one right now. And yeah, there's with, a couple of them out there that with, are interesting with the with the, uh, with the rule change on the shift that we've been hearing about here and mm. not being able to shift beyond a certain extent. And I'm not exactly sure you know what the guideline is going to be on that. You're going to ask a guy of Jake Berger's size and Achilles issues to uh cover nearly an entire side of a baseball field yeah i'm not worried about it with the most moving more but you know uh yeah i'm not not sold on i'm just not sold on on his skill level at this point because i haven't seen enough right right and you know second base is the is the is the position in the infield that has the most moving parts you know you've got to cover first on a bunt attempt you've got to know how to turn to double play You've got to be able to take cutoff throws. Uh, you got to know when to let cutoff throws go. You're going to get more cutoff throws from second base than you are as a shortstop. Uh, you're definitely going to get a lot more cutoff throws as a second baseman than you are as a third baseman. Uh, there's a ton of moving parts at second base, and for a guy who's never really played second base uh, and has been mostly a, a third baseman and a, a touch of outfield in his career, uh, you know, I just don't see that happening. At least not this season. Yeah, he's you know, with the uh, the double Achilles, he just he kind of got put in a, a pretty bad spot right off the bat. And you know, there's not really a whole lot anybody can do about it. I think it's only you know, I I will be surprised if he is here through the entire year. Agreed. Uh, I think that it, if he's not gone uh, for a second baseman early. Uh, it's probably going to be moved for something later on in the year after he goes to Charlotte and's just raking. What's up, Thirsty Fire? You know, How you let's, doing? Let's not forget about the, one of the big offseason moves by the White Sox already this year is the uh, <laughs> signing Larry Legend. You know, he could always uh, spell Yoan at third base over there. Yeah, in Tony's world, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, got he's, a real hard he's got a real hard on for for Larry Legend, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh when Kendall Graveman and uh Larry Legend are your uh big time off season upgrades mm. or something. <laughs> that leads you know. me to a question I got for you guys. So after the lockout, right? Um you know, do you think that teams are maybe going to downsize their budgets, you know, to, to like offset these losses and you're not going to see these 
these big, you know, these big contracts? I mean, do you think someone like a Juan Soto asking three fifty, or I'm sorry, turning down three fifty, is that was a bad move? I don't think. so. Or do you think? No, no you Not think they're him. still going to open up the, the the? I mean, I oh, know yeah. there's the high end guys, you know, obviously the Yankees, the Dodgers, those guys. But do you think that uh, you don't think any of them are going to pull back the reins a little bit? Well, think when about they start this. losing money. I'm saying when they start losing money. Yeah, I guess if they have to hand some money back. But the the thing is, okay, so I was actually thinking about this while I was driving uh, driving to work this morning. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was driving to so, work this morning. <laughs> If it comes down to the wire, say uh, you have essentially three or four days from when this deal gets signed to when guys go to spring training, Mm -hmm. do you really think that guys that are signing contracts are going to take less than they think they're worth just to get on a team faster? Uh, I don't. Say uh, I don't I, either. I think twenty eight and twenty nine, twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen are the perfect example of that because we saw a lot of guys hold out mm-hmm. uh, well into spring training and beyond. So I guess I yeah, yeah that's that's true. Well, think about uh, you know uh, Michael Conforto. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, White Sox Twitter's darling Michael Conforto, who's going to sign with the uh, KBO here in a couple weeks. Um, if People thought that they would be able to that the White Sox would be able to sign him for roughly around eighteen million dollars seems to be the the favorite number that's been bandied about in the last uh, two weeks is that everybody has come down from twenty million now down to eighteen for whatever reason somebody thinks that he's going to sign for eighteen whatever but if you've got four days to make something happen. And his asking price is $21 million a year. And you're thinking more along the lines of $18 million a year. But you've got three days to get it done. You're going to pull that trigger. Exactly my point. You're going to pull that trigger. You're right. There's going to be a little bit more play, I think, uh, Thirsty Fire says, would any of you take less to work sooner? Exactly. I mean, you know, f- as a baseball player, knowing that I have a finite amount of time in a career to be able to do whatever I'm going to do, maybe a little bit. But the thing is, is that I don't think the GMs have that kind of leverage at this point. It's not like Michael Conforto's not going to find somebody just to sign him for $18 million. But if he feels that he can get 21 and his agent tells him that he can get him 21, he might be willing to to wait a little bit. But say somebody that's in a position of somebody like a uh, Rick Hahn who wants to get his team set and he is working on getting to it, trying to get his team to a World Series, might have a little bit more flexibility on how he's going to do things. That makes perfect sense. I mean, it's it's the difference between trying to fill some holes and then just trying to find some backups. And when you're filling those holes, yeah, you're going to pay a little bit extra just to make sure those holes are solid. At least we should be doing that. And you know, the other thing is too is you got to you you have to understand that you, you know these other teams that are trying to fill the same or similar holes mm-hmm. are out there up against you. And uh, do you want to take the risk of waiting? As we've seen some of these hot stoves where 
you know, uh, let's just go back to the big names where we, you know, we were in on Yohan Mankata and this thing went back and forth for six weeks. And we were in on Yohan Mankata. Did we get him? I'm sorry, not Yohan Mankata. I'm sorry. <laughs> but if we didn't have Yohan Mankata, Manny we Machado. On Manny Machado. Yeah. And, yeah, Manny Machado. And that whole thing went back and forth. And, you know, uh, Mr. Boob, Boob Nightingale, uh, you know, was giving us an update every, every, what seemed like 20 minutes. And, you know, you got Levine and, you know, you had Ken Rosenthal and, and all these guys that were out there. And, it seemed like every day there was a new team and then there's a mystery team and then there's a new team and there's a mystery mm-hmm. team. And you know, Oh, the offer was this. And now the offer is this and somebody else. Like, there's no time for all that. So if you're Rick Hahn and you say, this is the guy I want to fill this hole, you better make the offer that you think is going to get the deal done pretty much right off the bat, because we're up against the wall here and there's four other teams looking at the same guy. Exactly. Yeah, it's a poker think- game, right? It's a poker game at this point, and you're just you're you're looking at uh, everybody else's teams, and you're saying, "Can we outbid for this guy? Can we uh, can we wait? You know, how long can you wait on somebody? Well, they've obviously waited a little longer than they should have because, and I'm not saying you know the higher price talent, but locking some players down would have been a little would have been nice. The White Sox I mean, did gotta- this in the time. Before the lockout started, we've had this oh, conversation before that oh, for years, right? They were kind of uh, dragging their feet before this lockout happened. Is that they were, you know, taking their time, wondering, you know, like let's see how the market plays out a little bit, and then boom, everybody was gone within three days. It's almost you know? like they didn't feel like there was there was no any sense of urgency. urgency. Yep, Perfect. there was none. They they thought you, oh these guys are going to hang around a bit we can negotiate no there, there was no negotiations that there's teams playing top dollar or more just to make sure they got who they wanted and Robbie Ray Red, didn't get didn't get what people said he was going to get I wanted Robbie Ray <laughs> right. I would have taken him I would have loved to have had him he's Especially you know, a, vet, a veteran number. lefty the guy can pitch that uh, number. in the chat says did the owners back themselves into a corner by not giving a little bit more now. To earn more later, what do you think? Do you think that uh, that they kind of screwed themselves by uh, not being flexible early to try and get this whole thing rolling earlier? I mean, you can talk about the whole thing that they waited, you know, dang near fifty days just to even get back, uh, you know, a reply on an offer over the holiday season. I mean, that yeah, right there. Maybe some of the owners. Well, no, the thing was, not all there, of was them. An, there was an offer on the table from MLBPA. I, I, from what I understand, it was like a month and a half before the lockout even happened. Too much. It was before the regular season had ended. Yep. You know, because yep. people, people, uh, there's a lot of folks out there that seem to think that these CBA negotiations couldn't start until after the season was over. And that's not true at all. No. There were offers out there long before the season ended, and MLB, MLB didn't even look at them didn't respond to them. And uh you know, no I don't know what that offer was. There's been speculation going out there, but there's a there's the rumors are are varying about what that that offer from yeah. MLPPA I'm was. I'm sure it so wasn't too really drastically knows. different than it is now. But, well, there's a few the things here and there I'm sure that are different, but I mean, you're some pro- of the yeah. rumors were that it was uh, a sensible uh offer. 
And I think everything now, that they've offered has been sensible so far. So well, I that's would agree true with too. you. I, I would agree with you on that one as well. But my, my whole point of bringing this up is, is, you know, MLB didn't look, they didn't accept that offer, you know, months before this lockout started. Now, getting back to, did the owners wait too long? Well, I would have to say that the flurry of moves that happened before this lockout on December 1st indicates to me that there were teams out there, they were well aware that this lockout was going to happen. This wasn't just decided overnight on, you know, we're okay. Rob Manfred comes out a week before December 1st and says, mm-hmm. December 1st is the deadline. If we get something done, we're going to lock out. You know, uh, these teams knew that. So there were owners and GMs out there that had a plan in place to get the pieces that they wanted before this happened. Oh, look at so, this. A half a billion dollars was spent within the last two days. Look at it. We're, right, right. we're not doing anything out of, uh, you know, there's no collusion. There's no holding down salaries. Okay, guy. Right. Yeah, right. So here's the thing. You know, if you want, in my personal opinion, if you want, if you're asking the question, did holding out hurt some? It hurt some of the owners. It hurt yeah, some, just of the teams some of them. Didn't, it hurt some of them that did not move. Did, you know, a la the White Sox. And we watched every decent second baseman that was, you know, uh, even war or better. Yeah, but we those guys were mostly shortstops. That's the problem, is that most of the guys who could have fit in at second base. They're shortstops. Well, we know? watched a lot of pitchers go off the board that could yeah, have that, helped the rotation. Yeah, that was hurtful. The yeah. pitching was the hurtful one. We yeah. did see a couple. We did see a, a handful of outfielders that could have helped the White Sox all go off the board. Now, were they the names that we typically would like to have seen as fans? Most of us, nah, not most of them. You there know, were a couple in there. But <laughs> there were taken Marte for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So yes, in in a you know, in a roundabout way, it did hurt some of them. Yeah. And I hope that's the question that was being asked. Maybe I'm not answering the right question. Well, I mean, yeah, I want to, I want to move on here, but I also want to mention something that is pretty silly when you think about it to answer Thirsty Fire's question. I think that, yes, they did kind of screw up here because, the players association for the league minimum salary uh not that this is necessarily a backbreaking thing by any means but the raises that the MLBPA has proposed to themselves doesn't even uh on the year by year increase doesn't even match inflation in the last right. 2 years so they're actually, if they didn't, if they gave themselves a bigger raise, like with what they gave themselves, they're actually losing money by the offer that they've given for minimum salary. If inflation continues to go over the next five years, like it has within the last five years, with the incremental increases that they've given themselves, they're actually going to make less money by year five than they make now because of inflation. So I think that it's going to end up costing the owners that they didn't take this offer, you know, the earlier offer of what the salaries were when yeah. they had the chance to do so. Well, yeah, they're looking, they're, what, what was it? it? They're looking for, it's like a 20,000 a year kick every year 
I think that's what it is, right? The owners are yeah. saying 10, the players are saying 20, I think it is. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and they're at, yeah, 20,000 kick every year for the next, what, four years, I think? Yeah. You're right. I mean, whatever, you know, it's a, I think that the, the players have finally reached the end of their rope as far as uh, allowing the owners to push them around, and they're willing to uh, take it. A step farther than they than they've taken it in the last in the last couple. So I don't know. We'll I see. I um, agree. So uh, moving along, uh, rules changes. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. not agreed to. Nothing's been signed yet. So it's not a hundred percent that any of this stuff is going to happen. But um, larger bases, uh, pitch clock, mm-hmm. uh, and. The one that uh, I mean, we've heard, we've heard. Obviously, we've all heard about Universal DH. That that one's pretty much seems like there is, like this is like a foregone conclusion that there's not even a debate in Universal DH at this point. Um, but then there's also the uh, the banning the shift, which is the uh, the one that I'd say probably is uh, seeing the most. Uh, interesting debate on Twitter. Uh, Trevor Bauer uh, said, we're banning the shift. Well, if we're banning the shift, why don't we br- ban breaking balls too? Um, well, I won't say it's quite that serious. Um, what say you guys about that? Uh, are you guys of the thought that uh, now, I, keep in mind, you know, these guys are throwing harder than ever with, uh, you know, going and using these uh, high frame rate cameras and developing pitches with the most amount of spin rate, with the most amount of break being the most efficient that they could possibly be. Obviously, it's going to make it harder for a hitter to do what they want. But are you guys of the thought that they should hit them where they ain't? And it's on the baseball, you know, it's on the hitter's plate to do, you know, if they're giving you half the field, it's your job to hit it the other way. Or are you guys uh, against it or uh, against banning the shift or for banning the shift? Yeah, for banning the shift because you want want a little bit more adventure in your lives. What are you guys thinking? Um. I'll say this, uh, Joey Gallo is like the poster poster child right now for this argument. I mean, he's been all <laughs> over social media about this, you know. He's oh boy, if I all these hits that would drop in and they're showing short little you know, they're shorting videos of him doing that, you know, a bunt to, to to you know, to the left side of the field and um you know, Michael Brantley pulls everything and he he seems to be able to hit about 70 or 80 points higher than Joey Gallo. It's that's not that's not a good argument. Uh, I don't know. I I'm I'm fine with the shift. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of along the same lines. I'm okay with the shift to an extent. This thing about having you know six guys on the same side of one base may be a little extreme. Maybe, you know, maybe a having, little extreme. You know, four outfielders and a, and a full infield on one side of the, the base might be a little extreme. But, you know, at the same time, I don't really know what, like, what does banning the shift even mean? Can what the sport doesn't the do that? Line up, 
can the shortstop come all the way over to the second? Yeah, base? that's so. Yeah, how far I mean, over is he? Gonna, is he going to be able to cheat? You know, right? And are we going to draw lines on the field and say you can't cross this line? You yeah, probably. I mean? I mean, they uh, they have they have illegal like, formations. They have, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's, two, yeah. what is it? Five seconds in the paint rule, and I mean, they have all sorts. Yeah, I mean, of what about what about stacking kind of stacking the box? You know, for for a run. I mean, these are all those are all good arguments. This reminds me of, you know, obviously this is not a real good anecdote, but when you're playing ball when you're a kid and you only have so many so many people to play the game, so you close out left field. Yeah, or right you close, field's you close out, Right field's, field's close. Everything, you got a first baseman, you got a shortstop, a, a third, and a left fielder, and that's all you can, you can't hit it to anything on the right side of second base. I was a, I was a righty, so. <laughs> I think, so I, I, think could, that, I couldn't uh, hit it to right. A decent comparison would be, uh, something they also did in uh, the NBA, well, something that they did in the NBA, which was that they finally legalized zone defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from only man to man, now you can play zone. So I think that that's like it, it's you know it's an evolution of the game. Uh, now this is a de-evolution of the game by taking away the shift. I think um, now, not to sound like uh, you know a parrot out here, but. Uh, they did shift for Ted Williams, you know, not that he was, uh, not particularly one of the best hitters of all time, but you know, I'm just saying that, uh, the shift's been around for a really long time and, uh, I don't necessarily think that, uh, I'm going to miss the shift, uh, being banned, uh, especially because I'm a White Sox fan and we know how little they like to shift. So we ain't going to miss much over here. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't necessarily really disagree with it. I don't disagree with you. I I, I think that, you know, if the shift was eliminated, I would be fine. But I don't, it doesn't really bother me that much. Not as much as it seems to bother others. I saw something about, they talked about Tony Gwynn, and if Tony Gwynn had to hit the shift all the time, he'd bet 800. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's also Tony Gwynn. He was pretty good. Yeah. He was real good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, you yeah. know, and that's another one of those arguments, like you said earlier, for every one of those arguments, there's 100,000 uh, that go the opposite direction. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we could we could play that game all day. But, well, yeah. you know, well, my thing is, is obviously, you know, defensive alignments have always been a part of the game. It's just a matter of to what how extreme, extreme are they? Yeah. This is right. an extreme defensive alignment, yes. Right, and how extreme are they going to get in their uh, their policing of you know what you can and can't do? And uh, you know, until I see how that works, I can't really say I'm either here nor there about it because you know what, as a as a a guy who's played the game my whole life, albeit not at a professional level, um, you know, I would like to think that they can do some. To, you know, we, we've been talking about this. The game has been evolving as far as a numbers game for the last 20 years more than it ever has. You know what I mean? There's so many algorithms and mathematical equations that tell us, you know, how a certain guy is going to hit when a certain ball is thrown by a certain pitcher. And, you know, we've got all this technology out there that's tracking all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I feel like you're now taking a part of that numbers game away by saying, hey, you can't use that information to line up your defense, or at least you're changing that strategy in a whole. You're making, you know, you're, obviously teams are going to adjust to it. They're going to use the numbers that they have in front of them to adjust to that. But 
you know, again, I just feel like it's a matter of how extreme is it going to be. I think, you know, if they make second base the cutoff where you can't move a, a second baseman beyond the, you know, the left field side of the bag or you can't move uh, a shortstop beyond the right field side of the bag, fine. It's probably yeah. just going to be a, for initial setup, though, right? I think so. So, yeah, hey, you, know, have, maybe so you know, for if a, a pitcher goes in his motion. Yeah, exactly. As soon as that starts, you know, they could start moving. You know, I it's if you know, even if they put the shortstop or the second baseman right behind second base, you know, kind of shift it over. Is that as soon as that pitcher is going into their follow through, you know, they're going to start moving in that direction. And I mean, you know, realistically, like when I talk to my kid about, uh, you know, how he's aligned at first base for a particular hitter, you know, and he's twelve, and I'm telling my kid to play off the line or closer to the line, judging by what he's done before. I mean, you know, I don't have, I don't have charts and stuff for uh, 12 year olds, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, you know, you watch these kids play, you can see, you know, kind of some tendencies. You can figure out what, you know, as far as alignment goes. So if he starts at a certain spot, you know, it's whenever it's legal for him to start moving, over in the other direction. If he's got to be over there, that's that's what they're going to do. Um, now, I've seen uh, a lot of irrational behavior today over the large bases. Um, yeah, uh, now, I, I'm not sure I quite understand that one. I, I, it's it's, it's just to improve steals. Is that I, it? No, no. That's the consensus, is that it's going gonna, it's gonna to improve stolen bases. I think, I think the, the important thing is first base, mm. you know, where oh, Manny, Manny Machado makes it a, uh, makes a concerted effort to try and step on the first baseman's foot that if they make the bag wider and it goes into foul territory – that it will al- allow for less collisions and n- for people not getting stepped on. Well, that is a factor, but, okay, but so there is, is also the argument is, for the steals potential too. Well, that's because what of I'm the saying. Bases. I know it's a silly argument. Nobody steals anymore. Why not go with, the, safe- Why <laughs> not go with the safety bag? That's what they're trying to change, I guess. Why not go with the safety bag at first base if that's the real thing? Like you see in a in a in a twelve inch or sixteen. inch No, yeah, that's, I think that's what they're. I think that that's what the plan is for first base. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, if you're going to make the, the the base, you know, I don't know, like six inches, you know, like a, like six inches bigger across the across the bag, like what it's going to add, like point zero zero two five extra steals per game. Nobody steals anymore. Nobody's interested in stealing anymore because the amount of times that you get thrown out, especially if you're the White Sox, uh, <laughs> if you get thrown out more, you're killing rallies. You're giving away outs, and that is the exact opposite of what you want to be doing. So yeah. I like I, I just don't Vince I don't Coleman see it coming in would change that years ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean Vince Coleman, you know, okay, he steals a hundred bags. You know, Ricky Henderson stealing a hundred bags. It's not 1985. Right. It's not. Nobody nobody is doing that anymore. The most you're seeing is somebody steal 40 bases. I think that it's possible that Robert could be a 40-40 guy at some point, you know, but he could do that with the regular bases. I don't think that it's going to necessarily require a a base that's a couple extra inches closer to him. I don't think that that's going to make any difference whatsoever. 
Certainly not for effort-wise, anyway. I don't know. Well, you're not wrong. They're they're definitely the steals are just not there. I just people aren't doing it. It it costs you it costs you outs. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, I also heard today that the players turned down Robo Umps uh, coming as soon as next year, I believe. 2023 or 2024 is something that was being discussed and that the players have turned it down so far. Uh, are you surprised or not? I'm not surprised. No, I don't think that I am. Well, I may be a little, uh, but I think, you know, I think that's still one of those things where, uh, if that's revisited again in say two or three years when there's a little bit more of a sample size down at the minor league levels, because we've only seen what is it, one season? One you know uh, it was two four. seasons in the Atlantic League. Uh yeah, but did now, we get a full season? Didn't that happen in twenty twenty? Uh it was twenty nineteen and twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. Uh well, let me ask you this about that. Do you think that um union wise, you know, this is going to affect the umpires down the road at some point. I'm thinking along the lines of, say, the sport of tennis, where you know they don't have line judges because they don't need them anymore. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that can, if on that on that you know from that from that standpoint, down the road, these umpires, it's a union, and union people stick together, whether you're on one side or the other. I think that the baseball players might back that or not back it because it hurts their union. I don't know. It's a weird, I, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, that's a weird thing, you know, to put in there, but it's a possibility. There's still going to be a home plate umpire though. That's the thing. Sure. And, and, pr- and, and the average player won't even notice it because it's not, it's not something they're just going to hear like a little noise, you know, in, in their headset that indicates if it's a strike or a ball, the player, the average, the average fan is not going to see and even notice that happening. Right. And, and that's the thing. I don't think that, I don't think the, the umpires will lose any jobs over it because not I, yeah, now, I'm saying. but it could like, happen. I mean, unless you're doing everything via instant re, you know, instant, you know, uh, instant replay i don't think that that you know like these close calls at home plate and at second Mm -hmm. base and first base and third base there's just no i don't think there's any way that they're going to get rid of them i think it's more uh just for a consistency thing on home plate because uh there was a stat that came out of um i think it was codify baseball um Mm -hmm. who put out the tweet that the uh the older umpires were like i don't know something like 50% 50% more likely to make the wrong call than their younger counterparts. And uh, that's unacceptable, I think. You know? yeah. And the thing is, yeah. is that the, the problem is, is that Major League Baseball has allowed the union for the umpires to get entirely too entrenched in the game of baseball and just made so many concessions for these hacks. And they're not retiring and you're stuck with Angel Hernandez and CB Buckner and finally Joe West is going to go crawl into a hole somewhere and That's some brutal brutal yeah officiating i mean you know <clears throat> Joe West 
like he was more of uh, the problem with him was more that he was a showman than he was a yeah. bad umpire. But uh, I mean, there there is no, uh, th- there's nothing that can be done about an umpire that's terrible. Is that these guys keep on coming back year after year after year, even after they get negative rating after negative rating after negative rating, and she's and the umpire scorecards on Twitter. Oof. Yeah, I was just gonna say the information that has become available in the last couple of years, and that was my next point was umpire scorecards on Twitter. I mean, you can literally get these. You can yeah. get the, the 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 miss rate on balls and strikes from umpires these days. They've got yeah minutes they, after it's, minutes it's after a indicated game yeah. You're right. I mean, right at the beginning there. of some of the games, they'll say, you know, they'll tell you about you know the the scorecards for these guys and how and how brutal they they've been in the past or the day before when we got some bum calls. My, I think I think I, you guys have probably seen that video when when they use the um the uh, automated uh, strike zone. Where you know some of these pitchers can just nick, you know, nick the sensor just enough, and it's it's it sure doesn't look like a strike to me, but they're getting those calls. I think yeah, that's it was stop. because uh, in the Atlantic League when it was happening, uh, yeah. in the first season that they used it, uh, it was calibrated so if a ball was coming across the very front half, like the very front part of the plate, and if it nicked the zone on the front half of the plate, it was possible that on a slider or on a curveball that it could end up four feet away from home plate. Right. You know, if it started on the outside corner, uh, very tip of the plate, and worked its way out, it could end up, you know, four foot, you know, three foot, four foot out of the zone and still be called a strike because they had it... uh, Right. calibrated to uh, basically in the front half of the zone. And so I guess what, you know, I'm not an expert on it uh, until I watch uh, some Netflix documentary on it, but um, <laughs> I think that they're going to calibrate it towards the farther towards the back half of the plate in order to combat that because, you know, obviously – they you know, would have you've to. Seen, yeah, you've seen the tweets where yeah, they, they, guys you are got pitcher, out. you got pitchers moving all the way, you know, on the on the right side of the rubber and just crossing over with a slider. The ball's three feet out of the strike zone, like you said, and it's still it's still coming up a strike. Uh, that's probably. The, I mean, players see these videos. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, that's pretty much what I was getting to when we talk about. Am I surprised a little bit? You know, to answer your question, I'm a little bit surprised at the. The players would knock this down, but I think there's probably needs to be some tweaking to the technology. And maybe once we see a little more consistency out of the technology, because that's really what this is all about is consistency. You know, we want to see consistency out of the umpires that we're not getting, uh, you know, stated by the numbers that you put out there. And by and, doing uh, that, you it, can't bring in something that's not calibrated correctly and is not set up the right. same every time Correct. and does not adjust its zone for, you know, somebody's height it and what about from perfect. one stadium to another exactly you know right i mean so uh, there's there's a lot of question marks surrounding that technology right now so i think that's probably why if yeah. i had to guess anyway and i'm just uh, i that's all i'm really doing is guessing yeah i don't know enough about it like i said i've seen videos you know uh did you uh, guys happen to catch the uh jack mcdowell interview on the score I did about, not. Uh, what I think it was two weeks ago, like a week and a half ago at this point. Uh, so he brought up I'm something interesting. I'm going to leave this one to you guys for a minute. I'm going to 
Yeah, yeah, do your thing. Yeah. Uh, Jack McDowell uh, happened to bring up the possibility of somebody hacking the robot umpire. Okay. I suppose it's possible. He said Russians. First oh, off, wow. That's which, wow, that's you know, funny. like that totally fits that uh, Jack McDowell would uh, <laughs> be bringing up something like that. Um, but he did happen to mention it, and it's something that I had never thought about as uh, as a thing is that somebody could uh, a hack it or b um, you know like a groundskeeper does for his infielders either keeps the grass high or keeps it low is there you know it, it, at a particular park home home field yeah. uh, 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 change of the sensors perhaps or the, yeah. the calibrations depending on who's batting it's 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 anytime you're using technology there's always the potential that that something like that could happen yeah i mean we've seen it before yeah in other weird sports weird things you know yeah i mean that's that's supposed to be the whole thing is that that's supposed to be like we said it's supposed to be consistent and it's supposed to be done well you know, it's supposed to be consistent, calibrated, and it's supposed to be the same for everybody, you know, with the slight, you know, different calculations of height, depending on who the player is. Sure, you're buying what they're selling, and they're selling the fact they're selling consistency. And if and if you find that there isn't consistency, well, there you go. You know, maybe, maybe Jack Badal is, is uh, you know, not as out there as you think, you know. Uh, maybe the Russians, maybe not so much, but I could see home team uh, shenanigans. It's possible. We've seen weirder things happen, haven't we? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the Russians thing, yeah, that kind of tips it, but the rest <laughs> of the interview, you know, there is a uh, there is a, a fair amount of just denial. Um, now, I don't disagree with him to uh, he... Um, is a, a traditionalist as as far as uh, the baseball thing goes, and um, the shift and all that stuff. Like he uh, was complaining about fastballs and the fact that uh, everybody now is saying that the people that are pitching now are throwing harder than the guys were that when he was around. And the thing is, is that he's saying that now the ball is being gunned out of the pitcher's hand instead of when it comes across home plate. And that is why the numbers are showing that guys are throwing harder now. Now, depending on when he's saying that this change in the radar gun is happening, uh, within the last, uh, what is it, last 10 years, the average fastball is up five miles per hour. And he's talking about uh, fake technology uh, when referring to uh, things like uh, Rapsodo and the drive line system and all that stuff about uh, crafting pitches and all that stuff. Uh, he's just uh, seems very, very anti-technology, uh, like on the inside of his little uh, uh, Einhorn sea hat. Mm. Uh, like there was a lining of tinfoil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, 
I don't think that's the case. I mean, you know, uh, radar guns are going to vary slightly. That's that's normal. And I don't think that uh, that's the case. I mean, we could we could make that argument through baseball history that things, you know, the uh, the skill level, the uh, you know everything, you know, all the all the work they do, the uh, changes. It's possible to throw harder. And every guy that's playing baseball is working to get to the yeah. point where they can throw 96, seven miles an hour. When yeah. back in, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, when you, you saw select few guys, when you saw a guy that threw 97, 98, he was like the only guy on his team that did that. Yeah. And the, so you're watching J.R. Richards, you know, throw, you know, 90, 98, 99. And you're like, that's exceptional. Well, Nolan Ryan, That's, same thing. That is not know? that. Yeah, that is that is not the norm. That back then, of course, both on the same team. Yeah, the Astros well. were pretty That's dominant not, that uh, year, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's just the. F- I mean, the amount, the sheer amount of guys. When you think of through the White Sox system, and granted, the White Sox have more of these guys than a lot of farm systems do, but the sheer amount of guys that they have that are coming up from the minors every year and our arms most yeah. of them are throwing 97 98 miles an hour i also think that there's uh there's a lot you know this this is becoming you know such a global thing obviously that these more players are coming it's not that there's so many more people that could throw 95 it's that they have a bigger sample size to choose from and I also think it's something that they work on right out of right in high school. You know, they're how you know how can I throw hard without blowing my rotator cuff out or, or well, that, you know, I mean, you you say without throwing your rotator cuff, I think that's uh, that's actually a foregone conclusion. With oh, it's going to happen. That, but how I many mean, how years many can you kids, get out of them? Well, how many of these kids are we seeing getting the preemptive Tommy John surgery before you know they start to feel anything? Yeah, and they're still they're still, still in high school. That surgery. They're still you know, in high school in their early years of college because the only way they make a major league roster these days is if they're throwing hard. I've so, seen, you know what? They've thrown their, yeah. the average lifespan of a pitcher. Now, we talk about the average fastball going up 10 miles an hour or 5 miles an hour over the last 10 years. But we also have seen the the, the uh, average lifespan of an MLB pitcher drop in that time because these guys are putting so much wear, wear and tear on their bodies. I, yeah. There's, you know, and it's the only way they're going to make an MLB have a chance at making millions of dollars in, in their lifetime. Well, yeah, you know, it so. used to be, if you threw 95, you get it, you're going to get a look, you're going to get a look for 100%. But now it's, you can throw 95. You have a curveball. Do you have a, do you, do you know, do you have any kind of a change up? Can you, can you drop it 10 miles? Can you, you know, can yeah. you spot it at all? You know, can you can spot you it? You know, even even that argument, they feel like they could turn you into a pitcher like a Randy Johnson who couldn't find the strike zone early on, and then Nolan Ryan talked to him off season for, and all of a sudden he was just whipping the ball right, you know, throwing strike yeah. after strike. Said, "Here's a learn how to throw a slider, Randy," and he did. <laughs> and not only that, he found command. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, that's a perfect example. I guys diving out of the zone. The first couple of years, the big unit was throwing a ball. I mean, it, nobody knew where the ball was going. Yeah, him, when you're six ten, and with all those that, those crazy like arms and legs coming at you, he's like you feel like you know you lost ten feet from the pitcher's mound before he lets the ball go. Yeah, yeah. 
But I feel like we're 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 starting to get off topic here. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're good. Um, we're good with that. We we do this a lot. So uh, it has uh, come to my attention. Uh, moment of silence. Uh, man with one of the most um, confusing spelling of his name ever. Uh, Matt Caesar has announced his retirement. So, mm. yeah, that's a former Cub. Uh, S Z. C Z U R Caesar. Yeah. C Z U R. Yeah. That's a that's a rough that's one. A rough one. <laughs> it sure <laughs> is. Um yeah, so uh that's all I got for this week, guys. Um I don't think there's really a whole lot. Uh, we'll be start, you know, soon. Uh now that uh the guys are starting to show up to minor league camp. Um, eight days, they're opening the backfields at Camelback Ranch for fans, so fans can go and check out the minor league guys over at Camelback. Uh, so we should hopefully start seeing some, you know, more than just uh, like three minutes of Colson Montgomery walking around talking to guys. Uh, actually, be able to see some uh, some video of uh, actual baseball activity down there. Uh, but guys. Well, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll reach out to a buddy of ours who is uh, in the area down there. Yeah, and, uh, see if maybe we, we can get some something. Information. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's a, a good place to halt the conversation for this week. Uh, keep some of that uh, fire and hate for uh next week because uh we'll find out probably uh you know how things go danny um tomorrow we're gonna find out whether there's a deal the day after we did our show and that, well, seems, you know, to be, that seems to be the norm for you guys every time every yep. single time and you know we talked about this last week where it was oh you know, finally they they made a deadline on a Monday, and the deadline came and passed. And now here we are, one week later, and they're like, "Well, Tuesday's a deadline." And I thought to myself, just in typical fashion, maybe this is when they get it done. But uh, if that's the case, uh, you know, uh, I am not going to be available tomorrow to jump on. If you guys want to, get it, then that's fine. But uh, I might be I, I might be with you, so who knows? If it, well, if I was I games. wasn't even talking about that. I'm talking about earlier in the evening, but. Uh, you know, uh, if let's just say something happens, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm in. Let's do this. We'll uh, we'll sit down and discuss whatever. Yeah, you know, uh, if they cancel games, uh, they can go pound sand, and we'll wait until next week. But uh, right there, because I don't right think there. there's really going to be anything uh, other than uh, complaining for you know an hour. So there's not really much point in that. Um, but well, and there's always the possibility that if they do end this lockout tomorrow, that the uh, the hot stove is going to boil rather quickly, and uh, I would be more than happy to jump on later on the week and discuss that as well. Yeah, that would be worth it. Uh, let's hope that that becomes a thing because I I'm looking forward to the uh, flurry of activity because the last one was a lot of fun. Now imagine this time because the Whites actually ha- they actually have to do something this time. So right. what you right. you would think anyway uh, that they might actually do something this time. So we might actually have something to talk about or bitch about <laughs> if it doesn't go that way. 
Well, we'll see. Hey. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Thanks uh, so know, much. Devil's advocate here, bud. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for joining having us, me. Mark, appreciate I, it. Um, I had a great time. Yeah, good times. Uh, uh, the pleasure was ours, man. Uh, it was really good having you on. Thank you, man. Oh, my pleasure. Catch up with uh, you guys uh, next Monday at minimum. Um, was, uh, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not banking on anything happening before. Uh, well, probably tomorrow, but I'm not expecting an agreement tomorrow. Just because I'm not. Because I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that to myself. You know. Well, you know. I mean, it doesn't pay to be an optimist at this point. It really doesn't, because you just end up with uh, a lot of hate. I've been hurt yeah. too many times. I've been yes. hurt too many times. So, uh, yeah. So, hope for the best. Expect expect the worst, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, White Sox Daily <laughs> it, Live uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter and uh, www.whitesoxdaily.com. Uh, is our website. Uh, the www is apparently very important, so I understand. Um, but uh, thanks for hanging out and chat, guys, and uh, thanks for uh, listening. Uh, it's available wherever you guys get your podcasts every week, uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. Uh, thanks for hanging out, and uh, my name is Ian Eskridge for Mark Orr and Danny Miller. Have a great night. Thanks. Right.